You know, I would have expected more from a seventh son of a seventh son. You know, I, I've actually been meaning to ask you about that. Um, what does that mean? What are you talking about? Everybody knows what special power the seventh son of a seventh son has. Uh, which do you know? Yes, everybody knows that a seventh son of a seventh son has the gift of flight. I can fly? No, you can't fly. Oh, well, can I, like, lift stuff with my mind or shoot lasers out of my eyes? No, that's telekinesis and, and Superman eyes. What you talking <laughs> about? We're talking about a seventh son of a seventh son. Do seventh sons of seventh sons have some sort of weakness I should know about, like garlic or cumin? What? No, that's crazy talk. That, that ain't it. Okay. Well, if I don't have superpowers, then, well, could you explain to me what they do? Yes, what exactly does a seventh son of a seventh son even mean? Well, shit, I was hoping one of you knew. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with your mythological co-hosts. It's Chelsea Hollowell here. I'm a half-witch who just wants to live her life spying on people and, uh, you know, avoiding work and just living life to my its fullest. So basically just a normal human. Kinda. Not bad. Not bad. And uh, I'm Jack Olander, a troll that got roped into a bad situation. Oh, boy. It's tough when you end up taking a job for a really shitty boss. Yeah, there's no hazard pay, and you're you're put into dangerous situations, I'm sure. Yeah, I help fight the forces of darkness, and I'm not sure if I'm included in that. <laughs> I've never seen another troll before. But, you know, I'd try my best. That's mm. what I do. That's all you can do. Yep. Well, guys, this week we watched Seventh Son, a 2014 film that gained some popularity recently for what I assume are completely inexplicable reasons. <laughs> Possibly because it is sort of kind of a reunion of characters or of actors from The Big Lebowski. But we'll get into that a little bit later. This movie was directed by Sergei Bodrov, written by Charles Leavitt and Stephen Knight, and it stars Jeff Bridges, Julianne Moore, Ben Barnes, Alicia Vikander, and Kit Harrington, kinda sorta, and also has um, Aunt Jay Trow, Olivia Williams, and Jimon Hansu in yeah. I think his. I believe in his third Swords and Satire appearance, he was in How to Train Your Dragon 2, I know, and I can't remember the other movie, but always glad to see or hear his beautiful, beautiful voice. Yes. But before we talk about all the things we want to cover in this movie, I think Chelsea has a summary ready to go, as has been foretold in the Scrolls of Legend. That's right. Here's your summary for Seventh Son. 
So this is basically a movie about a bad breakup, a, a bad fey breakup of magical proportions. A fake up. A fake up. And a, an apprentice, uh, basically monster hunter, who he's just trying to get by in life, and he's stuck in the middle of the collision between two opposing forces. That's right. The dude and Maud. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is set in 18th century, huh? Europe? Question mark? <laughs> Somewhere like that? <laughs> Vaguely Western Europe somewhere? <laughs> somewhere in West Eastern Europe. Yeah. <laughs> or is it East Western Europe? <laughs> the second I start trying to think, this film just kind of stalls my brain. Yeah. I just stop dead in my tracks and like, uh... Well, that seems... The movie didn't even know what it was. How could I? Yeah, that seems to be the effect that this film has on everybody who watches it, at least from our experience, because most of the time we were all sitting here going, what's going on? Why did that happen? Who is this person? What is the significance of any of this? So we all know that the average human brain uses only one one hundred thousandth of a percent right that sounds like the science that i've heard this movie divides that by about a hundred so so yeah this uh movie is very convoluted in its narrative structure so why don't i just simplify it for you dumb it down for me please okay so there are these monster hunters called spooks. So they work for the CIA. <laughs> yeah. They're basically like uh, cut-rate witchers. Mm hmm And they fight fey creatures, except for whenever they don't. Toss a coin to your legally dissimilar monster hunter, oh, <laughs> Valley of Plenty. <laughs> nice. They used to have like over a thousand members of their order and now there's just jeff bridges i mean who what else do you need who else do you need he keeps what who else do you need he keeps getting his apprentices killed mm -hmm. and so he finally goes after tom because he's heard he's a seventh son of a seventh son who has magical powers he even killed that poor john snow kid and so basically jeff bridges is <laughs> Causing a war between humankind and witches in particular. Mm -hmm. And it's like some fae folk are okay and some aren't. So and, I assume and witches are kind of in the, since they're magical in nature, they're born magical. They're kind of like part of the fae folk realm. I assume this is one of those complicated stories where, you know, things have been wrong for so long between humans and witches that who started it? is lost to the annals of time, right? Sure. That's what Jeff Bridges would have you believe. <laughs> His name is Gregory in the movie, by the way. So, yeah, I mean, Gregory would like everybody to just believe that he's on the side of right and that, you know, don't think too hard about why the witches are trying to, you know, kill off all the humans. Dig a little deeper, you'll find out it's all his fault, by the way. Yeah, at this point in time, my brain has already turned to mush, right? 
Because we all know he's Jeff Bridges, and calling him by a different name is very difficult. And he is a terrifying fey witch hunter, and his name is Gregory. <laughs> Master Gregory. And that just, to me, is very funny. Yeah. Also, I like how he's doing a swords and satire Avengers kind of play, where he's switching out his apprentice from Jon Snow to Prince Caspian. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a solid side grade, at least. Yeah, I think they're, they're pretty equal. It's like when you're playing a, a roguelike and you lose a character where you're like, well, like, it was okay, but it ended up getting you a little bit farther than you expected, and then your character dies, and you roll another character, you're like, well, we'll see what I can do with this. Mm -hmm. So, turns out Gregory, way back when, had an affair with Mother Malkin, the queen of all the witches. She found out he was actually married and that she was just basically a booty call and she got really pissed off because I think she actually cared about him. And so <laughs> why he claims that she killed his wife. We don't know the real a story. Convenient story. Then he imprisons Mother Malkin and we get to see that she's like begging him to have mercy on her. Well, and she was planning on killing him, though, right? Who do we believe, though? Oh, oh, you're talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, I see. How can you kill someone who's already a ghost cop? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. So, yeah, she eventually breaks out, reassembles her witch army, and they have an epic battle in at her old stomping ground on Pendle Mountain. That's epic in quotation marks, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, epic in terms of... One character gets dragged there because he was abducted. Uh, two other characters stumble in trying to recover lost goods. And they just kind of all duke it out. And there's infighting among the witches at the same time in this huge clusterfuck. So, yeah, an epic battle. I'm not going to lie. Why anything happens in this movie is very up to audience interpretation. The film does not give you much to go on. So... Just when you think the movie's going to take a left turn and actually have a meaningful moment between Mother Malkin and Gregory when they're staring each other down at the end of the fight, and they seem like they have a tender look in each of their eyes, she just gets offed by Tom, the apprentice. Well, that's the part where I think she was about to, like, cast, like, fireball on him or something. She looked like she was, like, having second thoughts, and they both did. And um, they were looking at each other like, oh, maybe I still love you. And uh, then she's just killed. And then they all strut away and like go their separate ways. And Gregory leaves his uh, position to Tom, who's now um, his, a master himself. And uh, master. basically he tells Tom not to follow any of the rules and to make things up as he goes along. And that's the end. That's right. There's a bunch of rules, apparently, throughout the movie, but none of them really matter. Wow, great summary. <laughs> I followed that a lot more than I followed anything in this movie. <laughs> Good, I'm glad I can help. <laughs> On that note, why don't we head into the delve?
Welcome to The Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Seventh Son. Now, Chelsea, I think you had something that you wanted to launch right into with this movie. I did. I felt like it would be a good framework for our discussion, but I think Jack has something he wants to interject first. Oh, nah, forget it. You got something good. Okay, cool. So, (laughs) this movie seems to be confused, and I'll say the writer slash director were perhaps confused, about... (laughs) Just like the audience. (laughs) What themes they wanted to address in this movie. There are these conflicting themes of peaceful coexistence and acceptance juxtaposed with righteous aggression, I'll say, and prejudicial beliefs perpetuated by those in power. And it has nothing to say about any of those things. Yeah, right. Gregory, Jeff Bridges, is the one who kind of vacillates back and forth between actually just outright stating those beliefs, you know? Yeah. Um, And he seems to be internally conflicted between wanting to accept the fae folk and wanting to fight them. So he both hates them and wants to fuck them. It's like... (laughs) This is a very complicated set of emotions. (laughs) And then we see... That the whole world is in conflict around these concepts. Is it? That doesn't seem to, like, necessarily get visualized very well in the movie. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, another concerning thing about his character is it seems like he doesn't care about humans, normal humans at all. No, he's just in it for the money. He doesn't even like Seventh Son of Seventh Son. <laughs> Tom, yeah. He does treat his apprentices as expendable, and he doesn't seem to really have a deep-seated need to help others or, or care about them like you're saying. He basically wants to get paid. I mean, he's he's Geralt without the character depth, right? yeah. That's probably part of the problem. Like, he he doesn't, he lacks all of the, like, and this really sucks. I hate to say this for a a role that Jeff Bridges plays, because he's played some of the, like, most, like, engaging characters, like The Dude. Some of my favorite movies. Yeah, and, and, like, his character in Tron, um, Flynn, you know, like, these are characters who are interesting and engaging and you want to watch. And this character is just this mushmouthed dickhead who it's really hard to empathize with because he basically did Julianne Moore's character dirty and got caught. She was mad and maybe killed his wife or maybe not. It's really unclear because I get a, a real unreliable narrator vibe, but there's just nothing likable about Sir Gregory or Master Gregory or whatever the fuck his name is. Tom literally says in the movie, your stories are unreliable. (laughs) (laughs) Tell, don't show. That's a screenwriting uh, maxim, right? So I feel like I can't believe anything he says about Mother Malkin. I mean, the fact that he did admit that he was married and that he was having an affair with Mother Malkin. He openly admits that, so I suppose that part of it's true, but 
I don't buy that she would have just killed his wife. Why would she care about the wife? She would be mad at him. Uh, I guess. Uh, well, part of it was because he said she killed his wife so that they could be together. Like, what were you guys saying? Like, oh, <laughs> his dick was so... The dick was so good, like, she just couldn't be without it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, the power that... of a strong dick game. Yeah, male power fantasy all the way here. Well, and that was what I was going to say. It's kind of one of the biggest issues with the movie is the whole plot revolves around this idea that the two main male leads are so sexually <laughs> desirable that women will kill, steal, and, like, go out of their way to do anything they can to be with these like guys. Like, betraying their friends and family. Yeah, uh, and, like, these men have nothing going for them. <laughs> I mean, I guess Ben Barnes, the actor who plays Tom's a decent-looking guy, but, like, whatever. That's not, like, he's not, spe he's, okay, we haven't even talked about this concept of the seventh son, which maybe not everybody knows about, so maybe we should talk a little bit about that. That's a good point. We can, like, kind of have a sidebar here, talk about the lore of the seventh son, and then come back to these conflicting themes. How about that? That sounds good to me. Okay. Yeah. So we did some research about the seventh son lore. Seventh son of a seventh son, particularly. So in most... And, and Mostly is, by listening to Iron Maiden. <laughs> um, he has the power to heal. <laughs> there are many different cultures who have lore about the seventh son of a seventh son. One of the core things is that it seems like both the father has to be a seventh son with no sisters born in between. He has to be actually... Like, the seventh child has to be also the seventh son, like, all sons. And then he has to have seven sons in an unbroken line with no females in between. Like, because they fuck everything up, apparently. What the fuck? Anyway, so... <laughs> and then if the seventh son of a seventh son with no unbroken line, they're going to be some special chosen one, okay? Of so that... course they are. <laughs> Even the lore is like male power fantasy here. So that is the core that goes through most traditions. Yes. And then what the power is seems to change depending on where the lore comes from. So like in Ireland and in the UK, there is the lore that, oh, there'll be a healer. Just like in the Iron Maiden song. Yes, exactly. And they're from England, so that makes sense. Then, so in the U.S., there uh, is a version of the lore where the seventh son of a seventh son will have special sight, like they'll have visions. And that's the one we got in this movie, and it was written by an American writer, so that makes some sense there. America. Oh, yeah, this is so cool. In Latin America, there is this lore that they're cursed to be a werewolf. The seventh son of a seventh son is be believed to be a werewolf called a lobison. Oh, man, that would have been so much cooler. I guess there was a werebear in the movie. I was going to say, it would have been way cooler if Tom was a werewolf. I know. And in Transylvania, there's a version of this where they're cursed to become a vampire, of course. <laughs> I mean, isn't that every Transylvanian curse? 
Yeah, so that's all pretty or cool. Or if you walk under a ladder, you become a vampire. And if a black cat grows in front of you, vampire. And <laughs> We just have to travel there if we want to become a vampire. It'll be really easy. I was going to say, is it a It'll curse? It'll by accident. <laughs> yeah. Is it a curse or a gift? <laughs> exactly. So, oh, I mean... And in the movie, uh, Jeff Bridges says uh, some curses become blessings with the right help. Which should have been like a theme that worked itself out in the movie is not does no, not. It was just a one line zinger. That <laughs> I mean, this movie was full of quipping in the first like thirty minutes. It was just like rapid fire quips from Jeff Bridges. I'm pretty sure that they paid him by the quip. Real quick before we go back to the themes that we were talking about, I wanted to just touch on what you were saying about his mush mouth and. <laughs> It, I'm really the one sad he inherited from True Grit. Yeah, exactly. I really like Jeff Bridges as an actor, but ever since True Grit, I was going to say, he's been doing this kind of like mumble thing where he has a twang in his voice and he's always a cowboy now. But it's like less intelligible than what I just did. Yeah. He did the voice for Rooster Cogburn in True Grit and he did it for the guy in R.I.P.D. and then in this yeah is just a really unintelligible draw and he like squinches his face up yeah yeah he's got his bottom lip just juts out <laughs> it's too bad because to me like the dude is one of the iconic movie voices like I want to yeah. hear more of that I would actually have way preferred it if this movie had just been <laughs> A stoner monster hunter oh whose God. life is just kind of really just not really down and out because the dude is down and out, but also cool with it. So, like, I think that would have been a much better story for this movie if they had tapped into that rather than trying to be Rooster from True Grit. If they were just like, OK, you know, you smoke pot all day and you hunt monsters like when you can. But really, you know, somebody stole your magic lamp and it really tied your room together <laughs> it really tied your dungeon together i guess we know what we're doing next week for rewriting history holy I jesus know. yeah there's good stuff in that but what the big seventh son <laughs> yes when i reflect on the film i cannot picture jeff bridge's character without the rooster cogburn eye patch <laughs> that makes it's sense. just such a similar character and while i was watching the film looking directly at him my mind was like auto correcting an <laughs> eye patch onto his face <laughs> like, it's not there but it's metaphysically there right <laughs> the spirit of it comes through the film mm-hmm well, I want to I want to go back to the Seventh Son thing since that is the title of the movie. Was this a really clever movie disguised as a really dumb movie? And let me explain what I mean. The whole time, Master Gregor is like Seventh Son is supposed to be this and that, and Tom, who is ostensibly the main character, he is the titular Seventh Son of the movie. He's supposed to be this special person. He is not. He does not have any magic powers. He does not have any great abilities. He's not particularly good at anything. <laughs> is that the idea? Is the whole idea that he is this prophesied one who has no skills and no abilities 
and is not special, even though he's supposed to be. And they just are really clever in the way that they show it to us through him being mostly incompetent and not having much impact on the story. I mean, maybe he was a farmer. And since it was written by an American writer, uh, it makes sense that he followed the American lore that he has second sight like visions Uh, yeah okay i guess he has some prophetic sense but that never comes into play in any significant way seems to help him yeah it doesn't help him do anything here's the thing halfway through the movie we find out that tom's mother was also a witch so not only is he a seventh son but he's also the son of a witch and this is supposed to mean something that doesn't he doesn't do any fucking magic he's got his mom's amulet that kind of protects him i guess but then it's never clear how yeah alicia vicklander just steals it from him and it kind of comes back in the end but not in any way that does anything so it seemed to me like for a full-blooded witch they can use the amulet but for a half witch you have to have like a complete set bonus for all your items that are (laughs) right you need the witch's amulet and the witch's ring and the witch's hat and the witch's dress and then you get like plus one to all your skills yeah or in this case when you add the necklace and the staff he could melt people with it and set stuff on fire. That's true. Oh, okay. He was able to protrude fire from the end of the staff when he had both of them together. You're right. The end of this movie is such a discombobulating blur. I completely forgot about the fire staff. I didn't And see like, it. sometimes I like it when a movie doesn't just like give you all the answers, but this movie yeah. didn't earn having something like that where it's like, oh, the magic power is that you can make a staff melt people like that is a weird prophetic power of a seventh son of a seventh son to just throw in at the end of the film that's not even because he's a seventh son that's because he's a half witch it they they really fucking just fuck the pooch on this one (laughs) because they undermined the lore that they set up that made him being a seventh son of a seventh son even important at all by making him a half witch So why the fuck was the movie called Seventh Son? Why wasn't this movie called Son of a Witch? (laughs) That's such a better better name. It sounds like a play on Son of a Bitch. (laughs) Yes, that's the bit. (laughs) Dang. More on that next week. (laughs) What a power play. Dude, that is such a great title, too. Son of a Witch. We already have most... Okay. (laughs) I mean, it actually seems like a really good stoner monster hunter story holy shit so i think we're good to go for next week and that's yeah, the b plot think... that's the b plot by the way because i want to rewrite it with mother malkin as the main character okay but we're not there yet no, i know i know we're I'm jumping just, the gun. i'm setting it up i want to try to remember so if i, I say it yeah. now audience we're wetting your appetite for next week it's gonna be huge but we gotta finish talking about the movie Okay. That yeah, we saw. I feel like we've already done it. We might as well just warp space time to skip next week altogether. <laughs> this one just blurs into the next. Yeah. Well, skips one. You see, here's the interesting thing. I'm the first son of a second son. <laughs> and that gives you the power of self-loathing. That's why I loathe myself? Yeah. Shit. If you were the first son of a first son, then you'd have the power 
to understand economics. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I didn't get that. I'm I'm cool. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Because I've been thinking that I'm the Bubba of Azada and the Bubba. Bubba. <laughs> crazy. That, that makes right? sense. <laughs> <laughs> that made about as much impact as the actual lore did. They could have just made unintelligible noises, and it would have had the same impact on the story. So, as I've been saying, they set up the lore within the American tradition, which makes sense based on who the writer was and where he came from. That the seventh son of a seventh son has visions. And so... They set it in that tradition, and the fucking movie is called Seventh Son. <laughs> and then they undermine all of that when he's a half witch. And Jeff Bridges fucking says, "Oh, so that's why you have visions." It's like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so the fact that he's a seventh son of a seventh son doesn't mean anything at all. That's what I'm saying. It's so subversive. It's this beautiful twist of your expectations. <laughs> So, I have questions. <laughs> we all have questions. <laughs> and I'm just ready for them to go unanswered, all right? Uh, uh, it's okay. Yep. That's it's fair. okay. Yep. But my first one, to become a spook, do you have to be the seventh son of a seventh son? I don't think so. Like, is is Gregory one of those also? And he's just like an arrogant dick, and he's like, "Oh, I expected more from you. Look at me." But right? but he said that there were a the thousand guys in his order. So how can a thousand people be seventh sons of seventh sons? But they were all killed off, and he still survived. So that's why I think of it like if they are all fourteenth sons, fourteen square root sons, <laughs> right? <laughs> Then it's more like The Witcher than before, because all Witchers are destiny-touched, based on the right. Rite of Surprise, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And if they were, like, that would make them more similar, which would be a bad thing, I think. I, I agree. Them. <laughs> because in The Witcher, they all have to be Destiny's child, yes. trademark. And, uh... <laughs> So Beyonce's a witcher? Oh my god. That's sick as hell. Oh, That's man. why she's so powerful. Beyonce, make it happen. Right, let's right. we can oh, cast it. We can cast her in our Beyonce. new Witcher reboot. Hell yeah, dude. Beyonce the Witcher? That's fucking golden. I, I I would I would subscribe to Netflix for that. Yeah, Beyonce, hit us up. <laughs> I would keep my Netflix subscri subscription for that. Yeah. Hit us up, Beyonce. We'll work together. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Yeah. Witchers are Destiny's ch children. <laughs> and then if you have to be the seventh son of a seventh son to be a spook and there were a thousand of them and now there's very few, too. Right. Then that would be a lot like the Witcher. Yeah, I, I don't think that the idea was that he was a... He, that, I don't think the idea was that he had to be a seventh son of a seventh son to be a spook, though, because they don't talk about that with Jon Snow, with uh, Kit Harington's character Bradley or anything. All right. So that confirms sort of a theory I had or it's further evidence that 
Gregory is just really superstitious. Like, his job is dealing with magic and the Fae and monsters and stuff. So he probably believes a lot of just kind of, like, folklore and stuff. And it seems like the seventh son of a seventh son is just folklore in this setting. I think so. Yeah. And so a lot of the film is him working off of, like, an assumption that isn't true. But in the beginning, Jeff Bridges believed the folklore himself. You well, know? yeah, but yeah. He's, but we know that he's an unreliable alcoholic prick. That's true. Yeah, so he's just superstitious. Well, thank you for explaining it to me because now it makes a little bit more sense. But they, they, I don't feel like they earned that explanation either. I feel like you're making it make sense to me, but I feel like we're lightsabering this here. I think so too. <laughs> It definitely, so in my mind, the way this plays out is he's superstitious. He's like, folklore, seventh son, seventh son, holy shit, one of them exists, right? Okay. He's like, all my apprentices keep dying, maybe this kid is a chosen one. And he can't die. Yeah. Right. And Jeff Bridges is putting all his cards, basically, in this apprentice, kind of like Disney's Hercules. Phil being like, you're my one last hope. All my other apprentices died, right? Yeah. And then uh, the main character, what's his name again? Adam or whatever? (laughs) Tom. Tom, yeah. And then the main character, Tom, he's struggling in his training, right? He can't hit the skull with the throwing knife. He's not good at fighting with the staff. He keeps making mistakes. And Jeff Bridges keeps losing his temper at him and berating him all the time. And I think that could showcase that Jeff Bridges assumes that this kid is going to be a chosen one, obviously. But it's just folklore, and he's a normal guy trying his best. And that's why Jeff comes off as such a massive dick to him. Because <laughs> he's grieving in the beginning. Right. I guess. And then he has really high expectations, and his dreams are shattered and stuff like that. So... I guess he's just like a sour old guy who's superstitious, and then in the end, everything works out for him. Kind of, sort of, yeah. But, like, it's not because he put faith in Tom. He put faith in the myth of of what Tom was supposed to be. That is a great point. So Tom just had to get good on his own. He wasn't encouraged by anyone but a witch, which... I guess that's interesting. He has a positive role model in witches through his mom mm-hmm. and through this girl who he's attracted to. Yeah, he h- helps save her from being burned at the stake. They become <laughs> classic witch. <laughs> classic meat cute. Then <laughs> her being dragged through ten. No, sorry, him, generic white guy who is supposed to have everything handed to him on a silver platter, but really just fails to meet expectations. Her accused witch being dragged through town by an angry mob. Will they or won't they? (laughs) Yeah, but that's something interesting. The idea of, like, who's actually guiding him toward bettering himself. Because it doesn't seem as much like Gregory. Gregory is giving him tools to improve upon, like the staff. And skills, yeah. 
and just kind of teaching him skills, but not really... Half-heartedly. Half-heartedly. And what ends up happening is the magic he inherits from his mom ends up being the lightsaber he gets. And her words of wisdom are what kind of encourage him to stand up in the final fight and try to save Gregory. It's true. It encourages him not to give up. Right. And the witch he saved along the way and showed compassion to ends up betraying the evil queen and siding with him. Yeah, and becomes his ally. A lot of the power he gets is from (laughs) strong, magical women who he's been kind to. And a lot of the conflict that's caused is by Gregory being a dick to magical women. (laughs) I think you're right, and I think that that's the perfect lens to view this movie from. I don't feel like the movie is self-aware of any of that, but I think that we can be aware of that as the viewer. I think it's a perfect lens. It felt like we just had to Rubik's Cube this movie and, like, switch around its configuration in a lot of ways to have it make any sense. I'm really glad you brought that up because it segues really nicely into the thing that stood out to me the most throughout this movie that I had. I I really want to make sure we talk about, and that is wasted potential. (laughs) I feel like... What you have described, Jack and Chelsea, too, is like this perfect encapsulation of Tom kind of having this wasted potential or, unex, uh, you know, unspectacular existence. And this movie had so many opportunities to do something great and it just let it fall by the wayside. So let yeah. me let me just tell you the, the things that stand out to me. We, we've kind of touched on how the themes get set up about, you know, good versus evil. But, oh, maybe it's going to be interesting. Maybe Gregory's going to be the, the villain at the end. Nope. Nobody really. I mean, if, if he is, the movie doesn't lean into that. And there's this line about how fear and hatred created Malkin. Doesn't pay off. We don't have any redemption for her. We don't have any reason to say, oh, like, the audience was encouraged to really think hard about what she you know uh, what she was and and her role in this nope she just gets killed at the end by the unspectacular seventh son who's not really that interesting and the other wasted potential of this movie is that they tried to establish interesting world building and lore but they never pay it off like they're almost too vague about things there's a lot of scenes in the movie where gregory uses iron shavings to do things like keep a wear bear from maintaining his lycanthropic form right he throws this handful of metal shavings and it forces this wear bear that they're fighting back into human form yeah and you know there's little things like that he says spooks you know don't kill every monster they fight they Sometimes we just have to tend to them and and make sure that they're not causing trouble. We don't have to kill them all. But then when Tom refuses to kill the werebear, Gregory just fucking murders the guy. Tom's like, I don't want to be a killer. And Gregory goes, all right, well, fuck it. Then I'll kill this guy. And then he turns Tom into a killer at the end. So all the lessons of this movie are terrible. I know. And Jeff Bridges (laughs) talks to Tom about the rules 
for engagement with the Fey folk. He defines for him who is good, who is bad, who they fight against and kill, and who they tend to, he says, as he puts it. Right. Um, yeah, because like ghosts and stuff, they're supposed to tend to. Okay, well, what does that mean never, in the context of this film? He never defines what it means. And so he's, on the one hand, suing for peaceful coexistence with the Fae, and in the other, he is wielding a sword to cut off the heads of everybody who opposes him. And, and, and it, this is what I was talking about in the beginning. It just doesn't make sense. It's in conflict. And I think that is how I want to end this part of the discussion, which is the worst wasted potential of the entire movie. Tom is established as a thoughtful, caring person who doesn't want to just do what he's told, who doesn't want to just follow orders, who doesn't want to kill unjustly. And through this adventure, he is turned into a murderer and a monster for the witches of this world. Yeah. Yeah, in that scene you mentioned where Tom is trying to spare that werebear, he turns, he's like, I'm not going to kill him, I'm not like you, and then Jeff Bridges sets the dude on fire and says, you will be. And he was right. He was right. Tom hooks up with a witch the way Jeff Bridges did. Yep. I mean, Gregory. (laughs) And then... (laughs) Same difference. Yeah, and then Tom ends up killing the main villain like Gregory kills supernatural things. Yeah. And then at the end, Gregory gives Tom the staff and is giving him control of the, like, sanctuary. Right. And I guess it's a little bit... Things have improved incrementally. Like, slightly, Tom is more hesitant to kill, I guess. Is he? He just murdered Malkin, like, moments before. Well, at least his affair with the witch was not an affair, you know? I mean... He's not married, and hopefully the witch isn't going to kill any of his loved ones. Not being as bad as Master Gregory is a very low bar, and I feel like Tom stumbles over it at best. Like, that would have been such a great way to end this with Gregory somehow resolving this peacefully in a more Gregory... uh, I mean, no, not Gregory. Tom resolving this peacefully in a more Tom fashion. That's exactly what I wanted. Look, Gregory, my power doesn't come from being the seventh son of a seventh son. It comes from my compassion or whatever. That's exactly how I wanted this movie to end. And I was clearly disappointed. Well, yeah, so was Alice. That's the witch that he befriended and had an affair. Tom had an affair with. I think boned down is the word you're looking for. (laughs) Okay, there you go. And she told him before that basically she was interested in getting married to him and seeing where you know, seeing where things go, maybe getting married someday. No idea why. And no no establishing of a of a close relationship other than I guess like I mean, well, it's the classic, oh, you saved me, therefore I owe you intercourse. Nope. It was based on an omen. The second time they that saw somehow each feels other worse. Yeah, the second time they saw each other, they took oh, just as bad. they held hands 
And there were blue sparks when they touched each other. And she said that meant they were destined to be married. Oh, I forgot about the fucking blue sparks. So later, when she's trying to, after the fight and everything, before Jeff Bridges gives Tom the sanctuary, there's a scene with Tom and Alice together. And she's trying to convince him to basically travel with her and build a life together. And he is saying that he's kind of part of this order now he's received a brand and he he's just gonna go all in on this order that he has absolutely no should have no loyalty to it's the order is one man gregory and he's just like you know what i'm gonna forsake potential love and companionship and just live alone in a dank cave with my troll friend well i mean let's not speak ill of tusk tusk is the real hero i mean tusk movie. is great but still anyway friend was said troll friend yeah and then she says so those blue sparks i guess it was just dust yeah yeah the blue sparks are supposed to that that come out of their hands are supposed to be this kind of amb ambivalent symbol like was it magical fate or was it just a little bit of iron dust on our hands that caused the sparks well, to occur like to turn blue so this is making me think that it's another bit of folklore but it's witch folklore kind of going back to one of jack's points there so she believed this folklore and it didn't turn out to be true so is it kind of saying that like did, did, did the people involved in creating this movie, I guess they want to uh, communicate that, you know, you can't be ruled by fate, maybe. I, it's just hard to say if they were even aware that that's what they were putting into the film. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. We can only analyze the text that we have. I know. Maybe we can get the uh, writers to come onto the show and, and talk to us about the script. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure they'd love to after this shining review we've given the movie. Well, guys, does anyone have anything else they'd like to add? Just in the next section. Nope, I've got nothing to add. <laughs> well, we've said a lot about the movie so far. I think it's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. This is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood, the part of the podcast where we take a look at the antagonists of the movie and determine if they were stupid, or maybe they're really just misunderstood, or perhaps flat-out evil. So, guys. I have a lot of thoughts the, about this. The movie wants us to believe right. that Mother Malkin is the antagonist. But see, this movie is basically told from the perspective of Jeff Bridges. So I feel like he's, we already flat out have been told that he's an unreliable narrator. So I don't think that we can accept as at face value any of the treatment of the witches uh, in terms of coding for if they're evil or not in the movie well i mean i think they're coded as very uh, well, mother okay. malkin is definitely coded as evil in the movie yes but i'm saying we don't take that at face value right 
because Jeff Bridges is unreliable. <laughs> so I I wrote down in my notes like, are the witches truly evil, or is their power a threat to the church? We There's didn't church? Really even talk about it yet, but Jeff Bridges apparently worked for the like Catholic Church. I think it probably was. So Jesus. Um, what? Yeah, there was a vague Christian pastiche, uh, like around his job. I forgot that line in the Bible where it said, "And thou shalt slayeth the monster <laughs> through subterfuge and dickery." So basically, the members of Jeff Bridges' order—I forget what they're called. Oh, the, the Falcons. The Falcons. Falcon spooks. Um, <laughs> they were waging war on the witches. They were killing them. And the regular humans uh, under the auspices of the church are regularly burning women as witches in the human towns. And so don't you think that the witches are really just defending themselves and trying to fight back so that I mean, maybe it's a little bit revenge, but maybe it's also that they just don't want to keep getting slaughtered. Reasonable. Yeah. So my understanding, is it Queen Malkin or what is her name? Mother. Mother Malkin. She's the queen, witch queen. Yeah, so... Queen witch. From my understanding, witch queen Mal uh, Mother Malkin, right? She's the one who kind of led the witches... To be evil, supposedly. Right. But there are a few lines that make me think that it wasn't always this way, because when they are sieging one of the cities, when the witches are sieging one of the cities, they say, oh, this city is being protected already. Right. By, by a witch. Tom's right? mother. Yeah. Yes. And so it seems like the idea of witches protecting settlements isn't that strange, just based on the way they said it in the film? Yeah, like, maybe it was a practice from the past. Well, just because yeah. she's protecting the city doesn't mean it's officially sanctioned, of course. She could be doing it without the knowledge of the populace. Well, also, it's, like, not sanctioned maybe by the current power structure. But, like, I think Jack's point is that it may have been sanctioned in a previous regime. Possibly. Under a the movie yeah. doesn't go deep enough to tell us any of this. No. Yeah. It also seems like Mother Malkin radicalized a lot of the other witches. Like yeah. the love interests. The love interest witch's mother. Bony Lizzie. Yeah. Apparently, she seemed like she was not always so zealous. For Mother Malkin. Mm -hmm. And that kind of over time, she kind of lost it while serving her. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that was my impression. Well, she she changes her tune when Mother Malkin is threatening Alice, her daughter. Yeah. Well, and when Mother Malkin comes back to power, Alice's mother, who's a full witch, Alice is also a half witch, um, her mother tells mother malkin who's her sister that all of these witches have been killed off she just barely survived um an attack herself and she was living life 
kind of maimed and injured and other witches had gone into hiding so they were a persecuted people i think they're within their rights to defend themselves and try to fight back so what you're saying is this whole movie is just one giant class struggle exactly whoa so i would argue that they're called evil by those in power but they're actually just misunderstood maybe they're led to some actions that are evil in their pursuit of revenge though so yeah i mean trauma will change people and alter their responses to particular events and stimuli it's true mm -hmm. if everyone's trying to yeah. kill you for long enough i suppose uh you might start fighting back yeah i could see misunderstood and mother malcolm has some evil tendencies yeah and she's the queen which you know that's a whole that's gonna spiral out of control evil tendencies from a monarch isn't favorable yeah no it, it Depends on who you ask, I suppose. hey -oh. It leads to a bad time. Yeah, not a good time for anybody. Yeah, so I think that the, the movie wants us to believe that Malkin is evil, but I think there's definitely an element of misunderstood that it touches upon, but does not necessarily handle very well. Mm-hmm. And I think that the writing is a little bit stupid in that she is so mad because she couldn't get that sweet Jeff Bridges dick. I know. Oh, my God. That was insufferable. Oh, I hated that. But I don't know if that's the character. <laughs> I think that that's just right. the script. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. So there you have it. A little from column A, a little from column B, and a little from column stupid. <laughs> Why don't we head over to the bounty board? The visions come to you fast, rapid fire, like a heavy rain pattering on your head. Flashes, glimpses, moments, short recollections, memories. Yours, mine someone else's. The meanings are uncertain, but the messages are clear. Your eyes open, or perhaps they were already open, and before you, you see, spelled in the air, the word, bounties? This week, Swords and Satire is sponsored in part by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Now, I gotta tell you, Audible isn't just some company we know nothing about who wants us to show their products. Nope. All three of the satirists have been using Audible since before we even started Swords and Satire. At this point, I've got a pretty impressive collection of audiobooks that I love, and I'm always looking forward to getting my monthly Audible credits because I know I'm going to get something new to enjoy while I'm driving, working around the house, or just staring into the void waiting for Krom to call me to his great mountain. And if you head over to audible.com slash swords and begin your free 30-day trial, you can help fund this show and start your own audiobook collection, which might even eventually rival the stores of knowledge from the Great Library of Alexandria. Sorry, too soon? 
And if you want a suggestion for a series to start your Audible collection with, might I suggest The Iron Druid Chronicles by Kevin Hearn? All three of the satirists love these audiobooks. They're about a millennia-old druid named Atticus O'Sullivan who lives in Tempe, Arizona, and goes around solving people's problems, gardening, fighting gods and demons, and basically doing all kinds of other stuff that you would think that a modern-day druid would do. These are really entertaining fantasy books with some interesting world-building, great lore, really lovable characters, and, spoilers, eventually there's a talking dog. So, I mean... I mean, he's not really a talking dog. He can just talk to Atticus because, you know, he's a druid. And, well, you know, why don't you go on over to Audible right now and uh, check out the Iron Druid Chronicles? That's what we suggest. So head over to audibletrial.com swords right now to start your free 30-day trial. Get a credit for a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you cancel your membership. Not that you're going to want to. You'll also get an exclusive wellness guide and an email reminder before your trial ends. And after that, it's just $14.95 a month, and you get a credit for an audiobook every month. When you sign up for your free trial, you also help us keep the torches lit at Castle Satire. So once again, that's audibletrial.com swords. And now, back to the episode. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, would you like to share your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from one to ten magical staves? You know, a, a moment that really stood out to me in the movie when I first started to get the sense that things were dangerous in the world for all witches, not just Mother Malkin. Just for the fact of being witches, whether they're aggressive or not, was when Tom's mother was wearing her runic amulet and she saw Jeff Bridges coming across the lake and she quickly hid it under her dress. Oh, I missed that. And And she looked scared. And that I got this impression, okay, she's magical or pagan of some type. I didn't know she was a witch. I just thought she was pagan. And I already knew at that point that he kind of worked for the church. So something about him signified that to her, and she knew right away that he could, you know, do violence to her if she didn't hide who she was. And so that was kind of a sad and scary moment in the movie. That just was kind of overlooked, but I thought it it stood out to me. There were a lot of moments like that in this movie, as we've said. And it was never paid off. It's so hard to rate this movie because it was executed well. Like it, it had a higher production value. The ninety-five million dollar production budget. Yeah, they had a lot of you know, big name actors and, you know, they gave other up and coming stars a chance too. They um 
had a lot of the costumes and the sets were great. Very period appropriate, 18th century. And the mood or the atmosphere, they, they did a good job creating this kind of dark atmosphere that wasn't too gritty, which I, I did appreciate that. But the the script and the narrative, as we see through the narrative, I should say, are so terrible that it brings it, the rating way down. But it was so much fun watching it with you guys <laughs> and making fun of it. So um, I think I'm going to give it, oh, I'm so torn between three and four. What did you say it was? Magical Staves? Magical Staves. I'm going to give it three and a half magical staves. So one of them's like a wand or, or a lightning or a rod or Just something. Just sawed in half. You know, <laughs> it, it was a prophecy, but meh. He uses a throwing knife in the movie. I'm not sure if it deserves more than that or not, but that's just how I feel right now. That's fair. That's This is a subjective rating system. Yeah. We're all right, and that means we're also all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Jack, how about your epic moment or feature and your rating? Okay. <laughs> well, I certainly loved the cast. Pretty much everyone, every character, I liked who they had playing them. Yeah. Which was very cool. I love every actor they had, basically. That doesn't mean I liked every character. Right. I think the most epic thing in the film for me was the transformation from witch to dragon oh yeah it was very fast and pretty darn seamless they did a much better job of dragon transformation than i think a lot of other movies do it's a morphing effect yeah it was a morphing effect and it happens in like half a second which i think is actually way better if your cgi is a little lower budget Making it happen quickly, I think, is way better. You don't have to look at it as long, right? It also means the movie is shorter. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was really awesome when a witch would just, like, do a little spin and suddenly you have to deal with a dragon. And I'm like, hell yeah. That was pretty good. And the cast was killer. All right. Hearing your explanation brought it up a point in my mind. Okay. Of course, I did enjoy it while we were watching it. I thought it was just kind of like, okay, a little subpar right. film. But then upon analyzing it more, it lost a lot of points. <laughs> I was going to give it one stave, but thanks to your recommendation, it gets two staves. <laughs> oh, Damn. Hey, wow. I, is this Jack's lowest rating I ever? I think so. I think it is. This caused me psychic damage. <laughs> Shit. I I think so too. I was yelling. I I I think it did for me too. I it, parts of my brain are dead after this. It's on par with a night of heavy drinking. Yeah. What happens if we used a hundred percent of our brain? Anyway, Jamie, what's your epic moment or feature and rating? All right, guys, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do them really quick. 
so that they're not big. I'm not going to take a long time. I'm going to do them fast so that I'm not taking up more time by doing two moments. Because if I did two moments that were long moments, I could take up more time and it might be a problem. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do them quickly. I'm going to explain what my two moments are very fast. I'm confused. Can you redo that? Can you explain? <laughs> sure. Let me start over. I'm doing two epic moments. All right. Uh, first off, I just this is just a quick one. So we everyone knows this is of course written probably in the Bible or something that PG thirteen movies can have one f bomb. Right. And I like how this movie uses it for Jeff Bridges to say "fucking witches." <laughs> That was great. That was hilarious. I That was probably the moment that made me laugh the most. Yeah. That was good. Nice. My real epic moment is there's a fight partway through the movie where they're fighting and Tusk is fighting with them. And Tusk does some sick wrestling moves. I was like, oh, like, I don't remember what the first thing he did. He maybe did like a clothesline or something. Then he did an overhead slam into a backbreaker i was like he's doing wrestling moves and i was like oh is it really and then the next shot of him he does a choke slam on one of the people they're fighting i was like oh awesome this movie's got me won me back with the wwe style combat that was great that being said man this movie is a mess it's hard to follow the moments are really disconnected i had high hopes because i knew that the movie yeah. was popular it just is all over the place and it's so hard to follow it from scene to scene. The cuts feel really abrupt. The explanation of things are incredibly clipped and there's so much that they, I don't know if they left a bunch on the cutting room floor to get to the hour and a half time or if they just wrote it without actually giving explanations for what was going on, but it is a hard movie to follow I don't want to be mean, <laughs> but I think I'm going to have to go with three magical staves. It just failed to impress me in any significant way. I've seen movies do a lot more with a lot less. Yep. It was fun, but it wasn't fun enough to... The, the problem was it didn't pay off any of the themes. Right. If it had paid off one theme, or one concept that it's set up, I would give it a higher rating, but it just doesn't do that. And that was, I'm more disappointed than anything. I'm not even mad. Oh, and that's so much that's worse. That's worse, yeah. It really feels like the entire movie could have been written on a single post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Bridges' Monster Hunter. Done. Mm -hmm. Now let's hire a massive cast <laughs> just huge budget cast yeah. i don't know is it a huge budget cast i yes. feel like other than julianne moore and jeff bridges it's a lot of people i mean especially because this was 2014 dude tom's mom is a big name actress i just don't know her name olivia she, williams okay thanks she would but she's in the movie. she was on to... set for one day okay but still yeah i gotta say yeah i I want to like the movie more than I did because mainly I like the actors a lot. Right. They're yeah. so good in other movies that I think it's a shame I didn't like this one more I than mean, I did. I mean, Ben Barnes on Punisher is 
just insanely good. And he is yeah. this great villain. Alicia Vicklander, I mean, has done so many good movies since this one. But this was 2014. I don't think that this was an expensive cast, honestly. Huh, I don't know. This was six. Nice. This was six years ago. the The younger people who had more screen time, especially Barnes and Vicklander, hadn't really blown up yet. I don't know if I would even say that they've blown up at this point, but they've definitely done more. I mean, I'm just speculating here, of course, but for sure, I think that when they made this movie, they were kind of unknowns. Maybe. Hmm. Or definitely more so. I think this was all about Jeff Bridges and Julianne Moore, and the, and it was probably sold on getting them back together somehow. Yeah. I <laughs> Even just... though it's nothing like The Big Lebowski until next week. Yes. But let's not get down that road because I think we'll never stop. Let's go ahead and sign off now. We want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to another rousing episode of Swords and Satire. Impassioned? I think this was an impassioned episode. Yeah, that's fair. I got impassioned. I was angry. <laughs> I worked myself into a frothing anger yelling about the themes. <laughs> that's totally fair. You know what? This movie made you feel something. That's true. So maybe it deserves another point. I don't okay, know. Okay, four out of ten. <laughs> Just for inspiring in us. Yes. I feel like I've aged. Anyways, if you want to follow us on social media, you can head on over to Instagram or Twitter at Swords and Satire or join the Swords and Satire group on Facebook. And if you like the work we do and you're feeling especially generous, and or want some bonus exclusive content, feel free to go support us over on Patreon. For just a couple bucks, you get way more sword and satire experiences. Yeah, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you're also going to get not only a great community, but you're going to get to see those sweet memes several times a week at this point. <laughs> as long as I remember to do it the right way. <laughs> We're learning. And hey, do you like video games and other types of games? If you do, maybe you can hit me up on Twitch. I just started streaming. My Twitch account is Neon Orlock. That's Orlock, like the Count from Nosferatu. O-R-L-O-K. You can check me out playing games by myself or with our buddy Sam. It's a good time. We uh, have no idea what we're doing, but we played a lot of video games. So, you know, we're not too bad. All right. And we also want to have one more announcement for you. We're going to do our Twitch stream where uh, the three satirists play video games on Black Friday this month uh, for charity. And so we will keep in touch with you about the charity that we picked last year we did child's play we might do that again and we, we, we might do that one again but we'll look into a few options and if you have any ideas for charities you would like us to give to please send us a message it, it via you know social media or you could email us at swordsandsatire at gmail.com and yeah it's gonna be fun we had a lot of fun last year 
We'll have to do a slightly different format with social distancing this year, but we're we're gonna make it happen. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, and that's uh, Friday, November twenty seventh. Just for clarification. Yeah, yeah. And, Details are important. And that'll be on the official Swords and Satire Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash Swords and Satire. Exactly. But hey, until next time, hail, hail Crom. Crom.